Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about film, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Colin McCormick. I'm Elijah Fleming. And I'm Christy Vogler. And today we're talking about Horrible Histories, Rotten Romans, a 2019 British comedy film based on a series, based on a book, all by the same name. And I think we have a lot of thoughts about this one. But first, I need to introduce, we have another special guest joining us, a senior at the University of Lynchburg. Welcome, Emma Coffey. We're glad to have you on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So Emma, we'll start with you. We, we can, as we get into it, we can give a little context because probably most of our listeners have not heard of this film or uh, have seen it because it's actually pretty tricky to track down uh, if you're not a resident of the UK. But we'll start first with you, Emma, if you want to just elaborate on did you dig this movie and sort of what was your, what's your relationship to Horrible Histories? I did dig this movie. Um, I thought it was a really, really good time and I enjoyed it a lot. And I guess my relationship to this movie is that um, I'm doing a project for Dr. V's uh, Roman Civ class and I decided to uh, look at Boudicca. And this, I thought this would be a good movie to pick just to look at modern reception of her as a character and just see what other people have done with her. So, so just a little context before I jump back to Emma. So like the, the plot of this movie is basically it's like a, and, and help me out if I'm missing anything, but it's set during the reign of Nero and Proclaudius dies and Nero is, is leading a sort of oppressive regime in Britain and uh, that sparks Boudicca's rebellion. And then, so we've got a sort of the main characters are a, a young Roman soldier and a, and a British rebel. Uh, and it's the sort of set against the background of Boudicca's revolt in the, what, 60s? DCE? I should have looked it up, but I did not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just realizing, because when you like talk about it like that, it sounds more serious than it is. No. Like, well- if somebody just heard that description of this movie, I would think of it like a gritty historical, right? <laughs> And this is the opposite. There's murder plots. There's a rebellion. (laughs) This is a musical. Yes. I should have mentioned that this is a musical. (laughs) Which I did not know going into it. So when the first song started, I was like, what is happening? (laughs) Full confession. By the later part, I ended up skipping through most of the songs. (laughs) I'm sorry, but the Boudicca song is a banger. (laughs) I keep going back to it. I was going to say, I think Nero's song was my favorite. Nero's was really good. Was fun. I think Nero might have been my favorite part, but we'll get there. (laughs) We'll get there. So Emma's doing this NSA project for Roman Civ and Horrible Histories. I use in class occasionally, usually groovy Greeks, because I think we talked about it in the podcast before, like the, the depictions of the battle between Hector and Achilles is like never shown as like Hector runs away. Horrible Histories, because they're spoofing and making fun of, but they're like staying really close to the source material. That is the only time I've seen a depiction of Hector versus Achilles and Hector runs around the wall like to get away. And I I think that's what's really interesting about horrible histories and maybe problematic for the movie is that it's meant to be educational in a certain degree while being funny and entertaining. But then at times, because you're supposed to be laughing at it, you're not supposed to be taking it seriously. You start to question, unless you really know the source material, you're not quite sure what is supposed to be true or not. A lot of the times, like how much of it is just for fun and how much of it is making fun of things that seem so ridiculous, but exist in the source material. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that works so well in like their short little YouTube clips mm-hmm. in like a very small, like we're focusing on this one little weird, ridiculous fact that we can tell you is true. And we're presenting it in a very silly way. And I mean, yeah, I've used it in class as well. It's fun. And it kind of makes things feel a little less like sad and boring and like (laughs) depressing in a history class. But like sitting through an hour and 30 minutes of it was kind of (laughs) weird. All that to say, I don't think I dug this movie, guys. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I think maybe I'm like not, am I the target audience? No. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. This is one of my questions. But but first, I want to get back to Emma. So you're doing a project on... um, Boudicca. Boudicca. Sorry, I was thinking about it because at the end of the movie, a rat comes up, like a puppet rat comes up and tells you, but he says like, I'm going to tell you which parts were true. And he mentions one thing about, we don't know how Boudicca died. And that's all he says. And then it's just like 10 more minutes of rat gags over the end of credits. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm in a state of, of just apoplexia. This movie, I did not take this movie. I was f- frustrated by this movie. So, Boudicca, yeah. Because I guess we don't have a lot of on-screen depictions of Boudicca, at least as, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot. Like, she had her key songs, and there were a couple times when she had, like, her rally moments. And there was also the scene where, uh, I think it's towards the beginning of the movie, when she got the news, like, her husband's will was being read, but then she didn't get anything, even though it was supposed to be divided between her and Nero, and she was really pissed about that, rightfully so. <laughs> And you've been doing some research into the the primary sources, and part of that was the end credit scene was, like, there's two claims about how she died. Both of them, she wasn't ever actually captured by the Romans, but one is drank poison, the other got sick and died. So when you were looking at primary sources, like, what was kind of, what was told about her if and who was talking about her? So the two primary sources that I uh, read for this was one was from Tacitus and the other was from Cassius Dio. And they were both pretty mean to her, at least like in terms of tone, because it's like, how dare a woman of all people rebel against the Romans? And the fact that there was a rebellion in the first place, it was it was just really wild to read it just because the tone was really harsh. They used like really condescending terms. I think they called them savages and heathens like so many times. Or is this movie would say sausages? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe sausages would have been better. At least it would have been funnier. But I don't know. It's just, it was just really wild to me because it's like these guys, like both these Roman authors, like write about her like almost like a hundred years after it's all happened, like a hundred or two hundred years after these events have happened. So it's like, it's really hard to tell like, what really did happen and how did they know about her in the first place if there were no previous sources written during the time the rebellion happened? Great questions to ask. Sure. <laughs> I mean, that's a, when you get into yeah. a lot of this applies to even the emperors and stuff themselves. Like everything, oh, yeah. we ha- most of what we have about Nero is way after the fact and from a sort of class of people that was notoriously at odds with him as emperor. So, yeah, let's start. Actually, we can talk to this because this, that's kind of the, the gist of the project and talk about Boudicca. And so, the metaphor that or the analogy that this movie kind of goes with is like Boudicca as rock star. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she, she's she's like a Mick Jagger or like a Joan Jett or mm-hmm. I don't know exactly if there's a particular one in mind, but like her rebellion is basically framed as like a rock tour where she's going around and, and, and just getting picking up more and more steam, which is, I don't know, it's interesting. I guess it's a fun conceit. But again, I think like to Eli's point, like the joke or the conceit or the premise is something that I think works well for a, a five minute YouTube video. 
But then this movie was an hour and 55 minutes long. They're much longer than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and the, the joke sort of sustained over that long. And then by the time you get to the end, I don't know. I just found the whole thing very strange by the end of like, because it ends with like her whole, her, her tour getting massacred by the Romans, basically. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, how are, how are we mixing this like very real violent historical event that is a battle and like the you know the characters are on two sides of it and they like decide that they don't want to kill each other like on the battlefield <laughs> yeah and then like nobody really dies there's like maybe some blood but okay like- can, can we talk about the healing scene just for a second <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure so towards the end of the movie nick frost who's the Orless dad, dad. Yeah. and the chief of their tribe Yes, yeah. he is accidentally like whacked with an axe or something like that. He's lying there dying, and then our, our Roman hero Addy basically is like, "I know how to heal people, uh, and so I'm just going to put some honey like over the shirt." Basically, <laughs> that was the part that I couldn't like. I get maybe and this comes, I think, again to the tone, but it's like the way they heal him is they literally just put honey on top of his shirt. They don't even like. I mean, I guess he can't show the like a gory wound. But like I was just like, what is going on? Well, and and vinegar too. So yeah. like mm-hmm. it literally is just trying to throw in a bunch of fun facts into a storyline. So this, yeah, this is I think the the core. I'm gonna go off on a whole thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Emma, for hijacking your project. Fine. But I think there's like two things are at odds here. Where like this movie is simultaneously peppered with like historical tidbits and fun facts, like that Romans would eat dormice. Or used vinegar and honey for um, antiseptic for antiseptics, <laughs> yeah. or the way the bathrooms are set up. So it's like the trees in the forest are like all these like ind- discreetly sort of like true, interesting historical tidbits. But then the forest is more indebted to British television and pop culture receptions of the ancient world, like just the way like the sets, the costuming. I mean, if I don't want to get really nitpicky. Stuff like the statues were all white and the columns were all white. And just the other things where this comes back to like, who is this for? Because the one thing that immediately turned me off is they dragged poor Derek Jacobi back to reprise his most iconic role ever as Cla- Cla- Claudius. And he comes back for this. And I sent Eli and, and Christy like the gift from The Godfather where it's like, look how they massacred my boy. <laughs> but also like what, like if this is targeted at a younger audience... Like, who is this for? Because, like, they are not going to appreciate the Der- a Derek Jacobi, like, I, Claudius joke. They have no idea what's going on there. And it feels like a version of, it's like a Monty Python slash Black Adder pitched at a younger audience. But then a lot of those jokes are not going to be appreciated by a young audience. But yet an adult audience like me, I was like, what is this garbage? It kind of makes me wonder, like, it's like reception was not good of the film in general, um, which is surprising. And you could tell, like, there's a scene where, like, what I like about it is the intertextuality of the film, because you've got reference to the life of Brian and, like, when grandma is learning how to write in Latin. Got... um, Spartacus being the Spartacus yeah. jokes. Are they? Who's gonna get the? Who's the Spartacus joke for? Is it? It's like I kind of want a British person on here. It's like how much of this is just such pop Roman knowledge because you Brits are obsessed with the Romans that mm-hmm. like you know it doesn't matter what age you are you will get it versus 
And maybe that's why they haven't bothered to try and transfer its availability to American audiences, because it was a struggle to watch this movie um, if you're not part of the UK. So, like, I don't know. I don't know who the audience is. It's like, I just know of it because I like horrible history clips. Mm -hmm. The Bodica song is actually 11 years old. There's, like, one just original song, and they rewrote it for the film, so it doesn't give away her death at the end, which is interesting. So, Emma, you said, like... I, I never quite came out. It's like, I kind of dig this too. I, for not, I don't know if I'd rewatch it, but I like it for the fun facts that you can try and dig out of it. Like, I, I, I just, I don't know. Intellectually, I don't, I don't like the storyline, but I like all of the references and thinking back to where are they getting this information from? So maybe it's just for nerds, classical nerds. Maybe. So, Emma, what do you think if you would, when I show these clips in class or like um, students your age, would they enjoy this, do you think? I think maybe it also just depends on your type of humor in general. I I mostly enjoyed it because it really did feel like a wannabe Monty Python, but it just fell so flat. That's part of the reason why I dug it, just because I know the Farticus joke is for Spartacus, but I also, all I could think of was um, uh, Biggest Dickus as well. Like that's what came to my mind. Um, But yeah, it just, it really did feel like for part of it, it was like a wannabe like Monty Python, like montage, like making the noises when they were in like the war room for Nero. All I could think of was coconuts (laughs) from the Holy Grail. Uh, is because it is very much, I mean, there is like a strong tradition in like British comedy for these kind of historical base, like, Monty Python, obviously, but Blackadder was, you know, a series that ran forever. It's my sort of big gripe is like the tone that this show is pitched at. Whereas like Blackadder and Monty Python, like even though they are making jokes that are, I guess, like just as dumb, like Biggest Dickets, but I find Biggest Dickets funny in a way that I didn't find. I don't know. There was also, there was a lot of like toilet humor in this film, like yes. poop jokes, bathroom Vomit. jokes vomit people just kept throwing up but it was really upsetting to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you're one of those people that like if like the the sight or sound of somebody else being sick upsets you maybe don't watch this movie the first scene they get Derek jacoby to throw up poison mushrooms yeah (laughs) it's like no which is you're it (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, and he covered in the other the, the inciting incident is that the uh, the main character yeah swaps out gladiator sweat for your, for horse urine yeah and Nero rubs it on his face. Um, <laughs> Technically, has some gladiator sweat in it. Yeah, just it's like a little. Bit. It's one part. It's one part gladiator sweat. One, I mean, to be fair, rubbing gladiator sweat on your face also is a little gross. <laughs> it's disgusting. But yeah, yeah. Lej, what do you think about like who is the audience for this? Like, who would actually appreciate this movie? Because I. I actually enjoyed it for the fact that like, I think for that same question, like if you're not really familiar with source material or the Roman world, you might feel lost on like what's supposed to be funny versus true. But for me, it's like, it's really enjoyable to sit there and like peace out. I'm like, yeah, that's in the historical records, whether or not it's true. I think that's the part I don't like either. It's like framing this all is true. It's like, well, actually it's what these two, as Emma pointed out two later historians wrote about and a lot of those pieces were smear pieces especially like if we think about Nero so right 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 well I I'm thinking about when Orla captures Addy and like she's giving him food and he's like don't you have any flamingo wings or 
Um, Isn't it tongue? Like, Flamingo yeah. tongue or something. Or he says like a whole list of like the really weird, funky foods that come out of like one Roman cookbook. And we know that like your ordinary everyday Roman soldier or even middle class person probably didn't eat flamingo tongues all the time <laughs> and like would have been pretty familiar with parsnip soup. Like, <laughs> But there was, so, a, there was a garm joke. Right there the was end. a garum yeah. joke. Did yeah, you bring like, <laughs> some like fermented fish juice to put on top of it? Yeah. Um, but it's like those two things are both true, but also need nuance, right? Like fermented fish and like salty products are really extremely popular and probably would have been available to wide ranges of the population in various forms. Like fancy, crazy, like even dormice was like you would fatten them up with hazelnuts in a little pot, and like we're not an everyday kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, we, we're getting that's like the foie gras of, of yeah, like, exactly. Uh, and so I feel like you know both of these things can be true, and the way that they're presented in that sort of ridiculous, spoofy kind of fashion sort of makes it all lie flat and feel the same when there are there are various levels of. I guess, truth and nuance and context that I think make history a lot more fun sometimes. <laughs> so, so sort of on this note, I want to kick out. So like we talked a little bit about like the way this this show is kind of indebted to a very particularly British pop culture understanding mm -hmm. of ancient Rome, right? That comes like, that basically goes like to I Claud you know, I Claudius, to mm -hmm. Monty Python, to Blackadder, although Blackadder doesn't do ancient Rome, but it's sort of of a piece. But then the other thing is like the thing that I kind of was most scratching my head and like getting at my critical brain was about like Britain's relationship, one, to its own history and mm -hmm. two, to its own history of imperialism and colonialism, yeah. which this movie is feeding into in a mm -hmm. way that this is probably the part that sat weirdest with me. But I, I, I have my thoughts, but I want to kick it out first to see what you all think. Th that was what I, especially when there was the line between Orla and Addie of like, empire where it's like it's like british doesn't have an empire and i'm in my head i'm just like yet and that's mm -hmm. very and and like the final song too which is basically a song about romanization to an extent yeah it's a lot of the what have the romans done for us kind of thing yeah joke. and and yeah and going back to like what they call these two groups like it's alliteration but it's the crazy celts is like their clips they do for the tv show versus the rotten romans and it's like well that's your your british legacy is one group you're calling crazy barbaric and savage and the other is genocidal rotten horrible people and that's your legacy of which we're making light of in this movie yeah, in terms of, I guess, Emma, like in terms of like a pro-Britain, Boudicca's very like anti-Rome. And like, how how do you see that sort of fitting into like a Roman history and putting her in this rock star light? I realize that's a really big question I just asked you. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, I'm trying to think of how I can word this because I had thoughts earlier. Well, maybe is it when you watch this film, does it seem... You know, of all the silliness going on, does it seem pretty pro Boudicca? Like, does it seem to you show her in a positive light and why so? I honestly don't know because it's just like I have mixed feelings of just like how they represented her because it just it felt like they were making fun of her 
even though it was like a really serious issue. Like I said earlier, she had every reason to be really, really mad at the Romans for screwing her over and not holding up their end of the bargain and just taking it all for themselves, which I do think kind of goes in with the whole yet thing for the British Empire because they did the same thing. But Mm -hmm. um, I don't think they took her seriously, even though she did like a pretty phenomenal thing. I mean, yes, she did lose, but she still did like hold her own for a time against the Romans and being able to uh, unite all of those tribes. Like, yes, there were issues apparently getting them together, but the fact that she still did it is still pretty remarkable to me. I don't know if I'm answering the question. I hope I am. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you totally are. <laughs> I think like the interesting thing and, and what is it, again, it's like very particularly British is like in a story like this, because it's like, I feel like they can afford to have like crazy versus rotten, like the way Chris was saying, because the British in this context are both, at least modern Brits, are both mm-hmm. colonized and colonizers, right? Okay. Like they're, they eventually are, they are the product of this, you know, layering of, of, of Celtic and then Roman and then later Saxon and Norman and, and all the all these other cultures. And so like they can kind of, they can sort of afford to make a joke like, oh, you illiterate savage Celts where your, your most advanced form of medicine is a dog licking someone. And then whereas the Romans are just these like cruel, imperialistic, gross. haughty, yeah, gross, haughty. And like that very much in like the way the Romans act are very much sort of is reminiscent of like British imperialism. Mm-hmm. Um and like this is the one context in which I feel like you could have this ad if because if you made this about the British Empire and any other group of people in the world, it would be deemed as quite in- insensitive and inappropriate and, and problematic yeah. if like if the way the Celts were depicted was any other group. But it's because it's like both sides in this conflict are British, at least you know in the modern lines. Right. We can have this, but then I think it also in a sense that becomes like a, a pernicious mask for like attitudes about empire and conquest and occupation and things like that. Yeah. Cause they are really having like having their cake and eating it too yeah. um, mm-hmm. in this situation. And like, I think the end musical number about sharing. Yes. <laughs> and how, like sharing is caring or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like that. I think masking like the actual really like atrocities of things that happened mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. the, like the actual like significant things that Boudicca did, like she destroyed multiple towns and like, Mm -hmm. she really like gave the Romans a run for their money. And Mm -hmm. they like allude to those things. They're, you know, like, Oh, you've been to all these places and now you're going to wreck London. And it's like, but wrecking a rock style. <laughs> Most of the jokes all fell flat, except for one that legit got an earned chuckle from me, which is when God, what's his name? The general is looking at London and goes, oh no, London burns. It's a terrible fire. Let's hope that never happens again. <laughs> yeah. um, I was like, ha, ha, ha. It's really interesting because it makes me look back at things like, you know, Life of Brian, Monty Python, where... You know, at that point, British has been an empire and it's trying to deal, it like wants to highlight the good things of empire, but not frame them as the ones being the conqueror. So it does it through its discussions of Rome as conqueror. Like, oh, what have the Romans given us? Well, it's given us all of these things. And it's so weird to think about, like, how many cultural groups do we get to look at with this long history of having been colonized and then turning the tables and colonizing so much of the world? Like, we don't get a lot of nations and histories like that. And it's it's kind of like someone is bullied and therefore they become a bully that like bulk up and become the bully themselves. So they don't right. get bullied anymore. But now, yeah, it wasn't great that 
you were bullied and your reason for, you know, trying to protect yourself, but then you turned that on other people. And it's like, how often do we see that historically in terms of like, I'm sure it's happened, but we have such a written record about it. That's interesting Mm. to think about. And as a result, we get this weird genre of film. (laughs) Yeah. But here's, they do really gloss over, like, I think it's paralleled in the main plot, right? Which is like the Orla Addy sort of love story, which is also, it's Pocahontas slash Avatar slash. Hey, they don't kiss. It's a friendship. It's a friendship. Fair enough. All right. Yes. It is a very chaste uh, relationship. Yeah, that's fine. It didn't Yeah, we're good with that. Anything else. <laughs> yeah. But but like so like in the movie, Addie is the one who comes up with the plan that allows the Romans to defeat Boudicca's rebellion. And the Brits are very quick to forgive that, right? Where she's like, ah, it's no big deal. And like, and this is like maybe the, the larger thing where it's like for this movie that's like essentially it's a YouTube skit that's been drawn out into a feature-length film. And then when you have to have like plot and characters and, and arcs and things like that, it all it all hits very flat because it's like you know, we just want a song about like Nero killing his mom. Which was great. Which was so great. We'll come back to Nero uh, in <laughs> please, a second. Please. Um, but like the like the way that it was all like, oh, you know, there was like, yeah, like everyone's just saying like, oh, yeah, like the two cities were burned. Uh, lots of people were killed. The Romans massacred this whole rebellion that was approaching 100,000 people. And then at the end, it's like, oh, it's all cool because now we're sharing cultures. Yeah. Um, which also feels very omni, which not omni. It feels very one directional. The the way the sharing is happening. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very. Yeah. Um, also, highlight of the moment: X Men was like <laughs> another goddamn. Sorry, Emma, but this is like the sixth movie now we've covered that's like about the Le- where the Legion of the Ninth shows up. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and X-Men so, like, if I see, is- if I have to see another goddamn Legion of the Nine saying <laughs> in one of these movies, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> well, like, if they were actually X Men, wouldn't that just be the tenth? I was like, what? X Men? No, X Men. Okay, it just looked like it was they were just doing X Men. I X. I it bothered me because I feel like they needed to establish the I X. The X. Yeah. At least they kept that short and sweet of just a X Men joke, and then they slaughtered them, and they're like, and that's all we need to talk about for the X Men. And now we're done. Okay, so, okay, I am curious because all of the stuff with the Celts was definitely weird and forced, it felt like, a lot of the time. I liked some of Boudicca's stuff. But when it came to, like, Claudius and Nero, I had n- I didn't realize it's Kim Cattrall playing Nero's mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, they've got some good cast. Also, randomly, one of the legions that's, for, or, like, legionnaires that's friends with Addy, he's also on Sex Education on Netflix. Yep. Oh, it's, yeah. Oh, God, what's his name? I forget his name, too, but I know I- exactly who you're talking about. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Like, oh, he looks so. It's like they have a fairly recognizable cast in a lot of these roles. And Derek Jacobi <laughs> to reprise his role, <laughs> one of the like elder statesmen of like British theater, to reprise like his most iconic role of all time. And then he puked. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I guess I, I can't. Ju- I mean, a paycheck's a paycheck. Yes, but like, or because Kim Cattrall is not someone I would have thought would be into like the British stuff, mm-hmm. and so I was curious, like, how well is. Horrible history is known in the UK. Like, it is a, a really popular thing that people are like, yeah, I'm on board for a quick cameo in that because why not? I guess. I, I don't have an answer. We should have got a British person on the show to answer because I think a lot of these questions could be answered by someone who grew up in Britain. That is fair. So, I guess, yeah, going back to my question, if this had just been a film spoof of Nero and his mom, and I like, I would have loved it. <laughs> I think I would have really liked this. 
And I think it's because like Nero is one of those super weird characters that we have a lot of conflicting information about. And again, like a lot of information that comes from sources that are extremely dubious and probably heavily biased. But like Nero's one of the fun ones where you can say a bunch of ridiculous stuff. And, you know, he supposedly held his own basically rock concerts, right? Like he would go out and play music and he dressed up as an actor and like tried to do a bunch of insane shit. And, so, and he tried to kill his mom multiple times. <laughs> and it was so funny. And this part worked. I don't know what about it, but like him trying mm-hmm. to kill his mother repeatedly in song was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> And there's so many little hints of like what's to come with his story. So like yeah. him practicing the Lear, um, the the reference to London burning, but also it's like you know that's going to ho- happen in Rome eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or he's like, and I'll probably live to be super old because yeah. I'm so young. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I shared this, the you know, the Delphic Oracle story with my students in class about the one thing I love about Nero is like he has a run-in with the Pythia, and this is how it goes. I remember being told that story at Delphi. Right outside the gates, being like, you don't mess with the Delphic Oracle. <laughs> yeah. So I I enjoyed that part. I thought it was weird and funny. How about you, Colin? You you seem to be No, dubious. I hate this whole I hate this whole movie. <laughs> I hate everything about it. <laughs> Where's your sense of childlike wonder, Colin? I have none. No, I'm like a I'm like a broody yeah, I'm a critic. What can I say? Like, you know, it just reminds me because like again, like, you know, a classic British performances of like Peter Ustinov as Nero, where he is mm-hmm. like he is the saving grace of Quo Vadis, where he's got like it's one true. a really good performance as Nero. This all just feels very lackluster. And again, I just come back to like how much of this is just like stuff that is just baked into if you grew up going to primary school in England, you know, how much of this stuff about like Nero and and London fires and Rome and the Romans is just like baked into your your being, your fiber. Sure. Um in a way that like, that's what's sort of the the missing component. And so, yeah, again, also mostly just like after the fifth toilet joke. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I'm, I'm out. I'm checked out. <laughs> you know, and that's I think that's what's interesting to think about is this is a reception that I think is very much solely based on text. Mm-hmm. As opposed to other oh, things sure. we've looked at that is incorporating material culture. So like mm-hmm. I showed clips from King Arthur to the Roman Civ class because like my favorite moments are when they're back in the fort. And I think that's very inspired by Vindolanda mm-hmm. and it's very inspired by the material culture. So even though there might be problematic aspects of that plot, like there's still something about that movie that really resonates versus this one. And I think this goes back to Elijah's point earlier of like, it's missing the nuance. I think because it's just so based on text without recognizing that text brings all sorts of bias with it. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. This whole thing felt like a fever dream, honestly. Like, okay, I know I originally said that I dug it, but now that we're like talking more things out and it's like initial thoughts that I had in my head just didn't spring forward till like now, I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. It's just a really weird spoofy parody and I just, yeah. (laughs) But also educate, I guess this is my question. How educational is this? And like, is this movie supposed to be educational? Like, is it because I know like the the series and the books are at least rooted in a we'll educate, but we'll also make it fun. And we'll also we'll shine light on like that history is not neat and tidy. It is ugly and gross and, and weird in ways mm-hmm. that I'm all on board for. And I think it works in sort of like the the miniseries, but like 
when you put that form onto the the medium of a feature length film, which has other, which comes with sort of expectations from the audience, like characters, plot, resolution, three act structure, whatever that sort of, you know, it's trying to serve two masters, I guess, is what we're saying. Like be that sort of true to the source material of like quick, crass, pithy, irreverent comedy, educational thing, but then also comedy film. So like it it fails, for me, it fails neither where it's like, this is neither educational because even though it's got lots of Easter egg edu- educational tidbits, the larger narrative is under, I think sort of is doing a disservice to teaching people about antiquity, but then also it's just not a funny movie, <laughs> but I've made my, I've made my position on this already very clear. So I'll, I'll cede the floor. What I, I think we've talked before about how we want another genre of movie set in the past and how it would be so much fun to have, just like a workplace comedy, but it be like in a Roman setting or in a Greek setting or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we're so stuck in that gritty historical and it has to be serious or like weirdly mythological, fantastical action movie. And I think this is like the third, I guess, area or genre that we're stuck in is the the state. Yeah. The extremely silly spoof. Mm -hmm. Because I thinking of like year one, do you guys remember that movie? I did, yes. unfortunately. Didn't watch it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I feel like that was also, like, gross and had a lot of, like, toilet humor and just was silly and not really, was not at all focused on being educational. <laughs> um, but this is sort of in that same space of where it's it's not a true comedy. Like, it's it's trying to do something else as well, be that educational or just be stupid and gross. And I think... It's still not quite hitting what we want from just an actual comedy, comedic, fun movie set in the ancient world. And that's what I want. <laughs> I'm still looking for it. I think Fellini is funnier in that's, its own, in its own mean, like weird perverse okay. way. But maybe that's just me. I, but I, I don't know. I guess I was entertained, but I was more disturbed. <laughs> mm-hmm. By Fellini. Do you guys think, thinking about the clips of horrible histories in general, do we like showing those because it creates an interest in the history? Because it's sometimes a lot of things that people have not heard about. You know, I get really bored sometimes of like talking about all the military campaigns. I don't talk about the military campaigns a lot in my Roman Civ class, and I can tell you that we have ideas of history that the way it's taught is super boring. Like it's knowing dates, it's knowing weird facts and locations. And this is a way to show the gross, the funny, the weird, or maybe the like culture shock almost of the past. And we want that to like bring people in versus, you know, I'm going to archaeology stuff. It's like Indiana Jones brings in a lot of people into archaeology. It is by no means reflective of archaeology, but it gets the job done of getting people interested. So is that what this is? And maybe why we like it in short doses, but not a feature film? I could see that because it is sort of putting a human face to a textbook, which is can be difficult to do, especially if you just have like a 50 minute class and three times a week or something like that. And if you want to like jumpstart sort of that humanization of the past, I think that's, I mean, that's why I used horrible histories. It's like, look, it's real people dressed up as Romans 
saying bad words. Like this is, you know, like people have been human all along, you guys. Um, and I think that sort of helps that vision of when we're reading about, when we're reading Tacitus or something horrifically boring. Sorry, so, Tacitus is so boring, Colin. Why are you, why are you just, whatever. Just any sort of text. I'm just like, Colin, don't. Tacitus yeah. is great. I don't know what you're talking about. See, yep. But it's like, it's fun to imagine like the actual person behind Tacitus, right? Like, I guess this grumpy old dude writing his hot takes is a grumpy old dude, right? And he, mm. you know, had other opinions and he had a life outside of his writings and imagining what that life was like, I think can be really fun and certainly can bring people in beyond just the hot takes of Tacitus. <laughs> One of the things I wrote in my notes was that Drunk History, I think, does a better job of this than Ooh, this. Where mm-hmm. that's got, I think, like the irreverency and, you know, it's a vehicle for these, you know, dry historical stories, but it's told in a entertaining manner. You know, it's a different form yet. Um, and again, I think there's a reason we don't have a Drunk History, the movie. And I think sure. that would not work. <laughs> like the format does not sustain for two hours. Because I, I can't tell if this, like, I sort of feel like this movie is just trying to be like year one or like... I don't know, just some other like goofball, raunchy comedy. But what do I know? Yeah, I was thinking of like if SNL tried to put a film together, like reenacting the 2016 elections with all of their well-known, right? It's like Mm -hmm. work great in certain little bits, but if they tried to put a whole film together about it. Terrible. I think the other thing that I wanted to pose to Emma is, I, you know, I just did a really quick look um, in terms of film depictions of Boudicca. One's from 1927, and the other one is called, it was called Warrior Queen, which was a, in 2013, a British biographical historical television film, of which neither of I have ever seen nor had heard of until I just Wikipedia'd it. And so this is, when you were doing this project, this was like, it had just come out, I knew about horrible histories, and I'm like, oh, there's an actual depiction of Boudicca. Why is her story, we've also talked in class about Zenobia from Palmyra. Why are these stories of really badass women of history of either, you know, Zenobia was a a Roman citizen and technically so was Boudicca. Like she, her husband had actually bequeathed some of his land to Nero, like half and half was supposed to go to Boudicca and her daughters. So these were originally women of the Roman Empire that ultimately challenged it. And we don't tell their stories except for this one spoof version we have. So starting with Emma, why do you think that is? And then I mean, I think I think it's very easy to try and exclude women just because, I mean, Rome is very much a ah men were amazing. Let's put us on top and women further at the bottom. And I, I mean, I feel like it's always just kind of going to be like that just big disparity between men and women in history, especially like in the ancient world. Like, yes, there were women who had privilege, especially like if they were nobles and whatnot. And Boudicca and Zenobia, like they were privileged just because it's like they were higher up in society and they were able to have that power to be able to rebel against the Romans. But it's just I don't know. I feel like there's always just that gap between it. And it's just and also these were women, women who opposed the Romans. And they were pretty successful for a time. So it's like, of course, her stories aren't going to be told as much because that's pretty embarrassing for a man. Hurts the ego. And I don't think the Roman emperors wanted that. Like, who wants to remember that? At least for them. And it makes Rome look weak. And Rome can't have that. And it's also interesting that both their stories are 
they end ambiguously. Like Zenobia yeah. supposedly, she is captured, she is triumphed, but they don't martyr her. They they marry her off to a Roman and she lives happily ever after in the villa for the like the rest of her life. And we don't know exactly what happened to Bodica either. She wasn't actually captured by the Romans. And uh, I think that was an interesting aspect of the film with Orla. It's like, oh, I can't be bested by a girl. And yet the the joke with Orla is like she does best quite a few of the Romans yeah. who the Roman males who think they are better and it's just it's it's kind of sad that this is the film that acknowledges that these really cool characters in history exist but their stories have otherwise just not been portrayed in film and would be very we get Cleopatra mm-hmm. over and over and over again I guess yeah I was gonna say I really agree with Emma's take that I think from our source material, it's like we're just never going to have the amount of information on these women that we have on just like any other guy in the Roman Empire just because of who they were and what they tried to do. And yeah, I mean, you know, they were not in the end victorious and the victors are going to be able to control that flow of information, which I mean, they even talk about in this movie. I think Nero's like historian, don't write that down. <laughs> it's yeah. like, like, of course, yeah, it is maybe sad that 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 is being acknowledged here and not sort of explored. And yeah, I guess Cleopatra, I don't know. It's like she's a more, I guess, digestible, like female character because she's supposed to be sexy, right? Yeah. She's more like, alluring in some way. Or yeah. Form. Yeah. And it's like nobody ever talks about how sexy and seductive Boudicca was. She was like a badass. And that is not of interest, I think, to male storytellers, perhaps. But I also think of they, there was like an epics show. I feel like I've mentioned this before about Livia, which is called Domina, which oh, yeah. was still like, I mean, she was a very like Cleopatra-esque character and there was a lot of like sexual escapades, but was also like kind of a scheming politician in so many ways. And mm-hmm. I kind of like, I appreciated the show. I thought it was kind of fun. It did some weird things, but I also think it did some smart things. Yeah. In terms of focusing on a female character in the midst of like the biggest names that we have from the Roman Empire, like Augustus and mm-hmm. Caesar and all of these other people. But the show focuses on Libya. And Zenobia is also described as like very beautiful, very intelligent, knows multiple languages. Mm-hmm. I think that that's an interesting aspect too, is like Bodica is interesting because she's not described that way. She's much more of the savage, but like is as long if Rome has to be bested, at least she has to meet certain beauty standards and education standards <laughs> and right. um and Roman <laughs> Romanness to be acknowledged. Part of it is also I think is is there's always like there's like a trope element that it kind of comes in with a lot of these mm-hmm. figures where it's like Cleopatra and Zenobia to my mind fit into a particular trope of like mm-hmm. Eastern women, Greek adjacent will mm-hmm. say Cleopatra and Zenobia. And I think they are sort of informed against one another. Like this trope reinforces itself, right? But the idea of like this woman sort of in, in the Near East, educated, sophisticated, or royalty of some sort. And then Bodica, to my mind, is also fitting a, a slightly different trope, which is sort of more in the lines of like Vercingetorix, who is the Gaulish mm-hmm. sort of rebel, mm-hmm. or Viriathus, who led a rebellion in Lusitania, right. sort of a similar right. figure. Or... Even, um, God, what's his name? The German, the one at, at, at Teutoburg. Arminius. Arminius, thank you, yes. <laughs> These guys also are 
also Roman adjacent, where they they might have sort of participated in Roman state apparatuses. There was maybe some kind of liaison between their local tribe and the Roman state. And Boudicca, to my mind, sort of fits that model a little bit. But then, so the other element mm-hmm. about Boudicca, although again, she does, she does, I think, get often left out of a lot of history books, but she's also like a British national hero. Like she's a bit of a British icon and like mm-hmm. there are statues of her, there are plays and operas dedicated to her. So she sort of is elevated, I think, to that status because she becomes something of a national hero and fits into a larger kind of, again, trope that exists in sort of popular and early modern media of like the doomed tragic warrior rebel, similar to someone like William Wallace or even Geronimo or figures like that, right? Mm -hmm. Where like, it is like there's, it's a hero that gets elevated, but then they're also like, they always fail in the end, whether it's against Romans or the English or the United States or something like that, you know, in, in the way that like, you know, this is my brain going as like a sort of literary critic person, like history is a genre and like the way we write history and then tellings of history. And so there are genre tropes and things that tend to conform and they tend to fall into little channels and things like that. And like, we're sort of outlining like the channels that Boudicca falls into, which is like one, these sort of the sort of short list of prominent women from antiquity that we have, but then also the channels of she is a Celtic rebel. She mm-hmm. is a, you know, she's nobility or she's someone who sort of exists at the fringes of like British and Roman society. She's also, she becomes a sort of national hero after the fact, or like Joan of Arc or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we look back on history, we always want to understand these kinds of, we understand them all in relationship to one another. That's just how like, our brains and just like genre works. Um, So that wasn't a coherent thought, but that's sort of where I'm thinking right now. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I'm just, I'm kind of at the point, it's like, I would love to see these stories shown in film the way we've gotten these other historical accounts. Maybe I don't, maybe we've critiqued quite a few, but like I, I would, I'd love to see a story of Zenobia. I'd love to see, and the idea that we don't have enough source material. Well, Agora was based on Hypatia, and we literally have true. one paragraph about That's her true. life. Mm-hmm. You're right. So it's like obviously we can do it if we, we can are do something. <laughs> like I, I would love to see more stories like that, and I'm wondering if we're close to getting to share stories like that. But I, you know, I was thinking of the live action Mulan, which was also based on you know a Chinese folk hero that was a woman and like apparently works great when it's Disney animation, but when it becomes live action, mm-hmm. it somehow isn't as appealing. And I, I never quite understand why these stories aren't as appealing when we try to contextualize them more in a realistic setting. Why do we only get these spoof or animated versions and then we can be entertained in that way? Part of it is I'm thinking is also, I think Cleopatra is, is an interesting comparison because there's kind of two Bodicas. And like, there's Mm -hmm. sort of two Cleopatra's, like there is a lived historical person Mm -hmm. who the access to whom is limited, right? We, we can only, we have snippets and fragments and glimpses and silhouettes, but we'll never really sort of be able to pin down if, if it's even possible to really pin down a historical person and completely understand them, particularly someone so far removed. And again, there are all these, you know, all of the intermediaries that exist, but then there's the also like Bodica and Cleopatra also just exist as characters in the sort of culture landscape. And, and in mm-hmm. that, they kind of take on a life of their own and they become symbols of something, whether it's right. Near Eastern exoticism and Orientalism and yeah. everything going on there, the seductress queen, or if mm-hmm. it's the painted rebel. Or the overbearing mother that is Agrippina played by yeah. Kim Cattrall. 
Yes. Yep. Livia is another classic example. Like, like mm-hmm. Livia now like exists. She's a, she's a character. She's, she's yeah. a trope, you know, she, these, they exist. I mean, I think even just like you look to something like game of Thrones and there are in game of Thrones, yet you have your Cleopatra's, you have your Livia's, you have mm-hmm. your Boudicca's. True. And, mm-hmm. and I think we could, we could go through a show like that. And, and, and I'm thinking, right, we've got Egret is kind of our Boudicca. We've got, I mean, there's any number of the Livia's we've you've got Cersei as our sort of Livia. We've got mm-hmm. right, these characters have now, while they're rooted in sort of some sort of historicity, but they become, I mean, almost like Socrates or Jesus or Plato or something like that, right? They yeah. exist yep. beyond or the Buddha or whoever, right? They, yep. they sort of have transcended historicity and, and, and become characters. Yeah. It's like it's never stopped Hollywood. They help feed and create those mm-hmm. cultural ideas, but it's just stopped a depiction of a lot of these women that, mm-hmm. yeah, because they're almost blank slates, like we just have, you know, Hypatia is a great example. It's like we just have this little blurb of information. We can make an entire film about that. Why and not? Consequently, I think the movie we get, the story we get is just cued into what the audience is looking mm-hmm. for. Which is why our whole podcast exists to mm-hmm. unpack that, right? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if, if the window has passed, but like there was a window for a Boudicca or maybe there still is a window for a Boudicca as we would like to see her or a Cleopatra mm-hmm. as we would like to see her. Well, that's coming eventually with Gal Gadot. So we'll see how that goes. It's going to be a whole thing. Oh, it is. It's going. Mm -hmm. But then it's already been a whole thing. For all the things that we like that Horrible Histories is doing, it also introduces a whole new batch of problems. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, for me, from my my main hangup is like the way that while Horrible Histories is trying to sort of bring a fresh take or a fresh eyes, it's still, at least in this movie, it's still deeply rooted. And I think what I saw is very old fashioned notions of. Romanization and mm-hmm. um, Rome, the Roman Empire in Britain, mm-hmm. and the, the narrative. You know, it's almost like the it, it reminds like the American equivalent that is like you know the first Thanksgiving. Right. Mm-hmm. Recording this over Thanksgiving break, but like the first Thanksgiving where the Pilgrims and the Native Americans got together and had a feast, and like that's the narrative that mm-hmm. at least it's spun out in early education. And I feel like the Brits have a similar thing with like the way what Rome was. Yeah. you know, in Britain. Yeah. I think that's a perfect analogy, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's this kind of happy, nice, bloodless, you know, yes. violenceless musical number. We'll sing a song about sharing, even though this is immediately in the wake of a huge battle in yeah. which much blood was spilt. Yeah. We had a discussion in my Roman Civ class about like, what is Romanization? What does that look like culturally? And I had originally used Devil Wears Prada, um, scene where Ooh. she's explaining fashion and how like you know these fashion elites chose the sweater which you're wearing but mm-hmm. that doesn't acknowledge that fashion itself is often inspired by you know street what people are coming up with on their own and it's a it, top-down model in exactly mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. now i just want to play this song to pair with that discussion being like how is this being reinforced <laughs> but yeah i mean it, you see it in life of brian right where like mm-hmm. the romans gave us the education aqueducts public health. And I think it's, it's again, for Brits, it's a way to sort of tacitly justify their own colonialism because we're, we're civilizing the world. I think it's been a while since we've gotten a hate on a movie and we're being so critical about depictions of the past in a way we haven't been in a long time. And I think at the end of the day, it's like, do I want a not totally authentic representation of the life of Boudicca, the life of Zenobia? I would love to see that film. Even if it's bad, I want to see it because at least it's a different storyline. And then we yeah. can, you know, at the end of the day, every time we tell these stories, it's more reflective of our culture than, mm-hmm. you know, what it was mm-hmm. in the past. That's why we still engage with it. So I guess for me personally, it's like, I want more badass women 
in film so that even if they get it wrong, even if they're not 100% accurate to her life portrayal, well, that's true of every historical figure we ever put in film. Braveheart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's my thought. More badass women of history in film or drunk history. Yeah. But they already do that pretty well in drunk history. (laughs) (laughs) Emma, do you have any concluding or finalizing thoughts? I'm honestly just with Dr. V. I really want to, I want more uh, badass women in history as well, just to learn more about that. Cause we, we don't get that. Like, Thursday was the first day I'd ever learned about Zenobia. And I feel so silly for not having known anything about the Palmyrian empire or any of that before. And it just makes me sad. I wish that's something we need to do. I think that is something to consider is like these stories have had alternative tellings because Hollywood tells very specific kinds of stories. They have, they hire specific kinds of directors. Mm-hmm. Like we, we've known this for a lo- very long time. I think that's where we do need to look is alternative forms of media to that where these stories are being told because they probably exist, but they're just not in movie theaters a lot of the time. But I still want to film. I want movies. I need, I I need more things to watch. <laughs> I have no time to watch them, but I, I want to watch more things. I feel like they're more accessible that way as well. Like if you decide Mm -hmm. films are more accessible to everyone. So I feel like that would also be great because maybe you Mm -hmm. can expand on your audience. Like not saying that like books can't do that now, obviously, because great thing called the internet. But I mean, it might has better chances of being able to reach like all corners of the world and like Mm -hmm. more people can like talk, do podcasts about it. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Could be big. <laughs> or Netflix short series. Like, we have so many true crime ones. It's like, let's mix it up, people. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone seen um, Woman King yet? No. This and is I'm like very- exactly, I think, what, what Chrissy's talking about. This yes, I was very excited for that. And then on the other hand, it's like the the feminist in me also sees the problem. Because I read up on the history when I saw that was coming out. I'm like, female warriors. Well, that was needed because all of the men had died and so this king's like you know what we got some women on the side we'll train them up as warriors too so it's very much feeding into this violent cycle but it's still kind of cool and it's historically accurate to some degree so yes i want more stories like that for me to pick apart like i just did (laughs) (laughs) yeah and on like the movie making side i don't know i watched a few things about just the making of woman king and like they did all their own stunts and Mm -hmm was like super intensive yeah they went to like boot camp for a while yeah yeah which i think is so cool and i love when when there are so many physical and like real effects Mm. in a movie and i think it makes it so much more fun than just like a bunch of cgi robots yeah the other thing (laughs) that um just one random other side note is uh miss marvel that was on disney plus and she goes back in time to partition and it's like i didn't even know like, I knew that Pakistan and India had been separated. I didn't know, like, what its historical title was and, like, what was happening to people. It's like, that was just a short snippet. And I was, it was so fascinating, so interesting that, yeah. And it's like, maybe that's part of it, too. It's like, I want to get out of Rome-centric, sure. like, the city stories. And, you know, our pitch for Gladiator 2 is like, let's get the daughters of <laughs> yeah, yeah, so-and-so to be, you know, and I, I think that's just it is like Rome is so encompassing of so many cultures and stories. It's like we're we're like so well set up to like, yeah, let's mm-hmm. unpack that. Yeah. Let's let's do these stories that are Rome adjacent, if you will. The Mediterranean region's very big. It's very big. Yes. It's huge. 
Yeah. That's our fi- our final thesis. The Mediterranean is big. <laughs> it is. It's very big. If you learn one thing, Emma, learn that. <laughs> I think I already knew that one. <laughs> then you're set. Yeah, you're doing good. <laughs> all right. That's all my – I guess that's all my thoughts for the day is – well, for this podcast at least because we have another one later today. But yeah. Yeah. Any other final thoughts? Good. All right. Thanks for joining us, Emma. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I think that just about wraps up our discussion. Thank you again, Emma, for joining us. As usual, you can find our podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. Go to our website, moviesbedig.com. Follow us on Twitter at digmovies. Uh, and we'll be back. We're about to go record another session about the Warriors. Come out and play. Can you dig it? We can dig it. All right. Thank you again, Emma. And we'll see you all soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.